The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales Episode 15, Green-Eyed Magic, Part 2 You said you weren't going to deliberately make any more grand exits, Isabel wrote into the private channel, the accompanying frowning face not even beginning to express her chagrin. I didn't sign off. The Decameron seemed to hang and I shook my phone, Lucas tried to explain. And, Isabel pressed, you thought you could reset it? It's a phone, solid state digital tech, not an etch-a-sketch, Jack replied. A what-a-what? Lucas asked. Adeline is rolling her eyes and tapping her foot, Isabel put in dangerously. Oh, hell, man, she's going to go off, Jack grinned. Never mind, an old toy. Think magnetic sand in a plastic box with a screen and knobs on. You Westerners will sell anything, won't you? Lucas marveled. Yep, Jack agreed. So you shook your phone, and then what happened? You know how people can change stories over time, or for particular occasions? Lucas asked. Like I did putting our Jack in my story about death. Sure, happens all the time, Isabel said. Thanks for that, by the way, a little nuts be damned, Jack said. It was a good story, though, he had to admit. And right after, he had emailed his mother. She'd invited him for dinner as soon as that was a thing again. Score. Or like the tawny cat... She and the Rosalka, Lucas continued. Well, I was sort of following this folktale called the Magic Box, and in it the hero takes the box from the throne of hell. His master abandons him and he shakes the box, and twelve young men jump out and build him a fabulous kingdom and help him out when he gets into trouble. I could use some of that, Isabel exclaimed. So could we all, Jack grinned. Wait, do you mean to say... Twelve guys appeared in front of me, not in the app. I was texting my story in a park, sitting on a bench. We can get out a bit where I am. I was off work and the night was fine, no one about. My phone seemed to get this greenish glow and I shook it and these guys appeared. One gave me an old copper key. He seemed to think it was mine. Then they walked away. The thing is... Yes, Isabel and Jack were engrossed in Lucas's account. What about the key? I found a box on the beach before we all signed off. A small green box with a copper key in the lid. Our host was talking a lot of all-knowing stuff about green. I knew it, Jack shouted in caps. The app is Kermit, and that makes Isabel Miss Piggy, and... I'm going off you really quick, laddie, Isabel warned. Guys... This is serious. I'm living the stories and they seem to be changing me, Lucas practically wailed. He couldn't put into words the transformation of the one youth into the coppery maiden and every time he thought of the green in his eyes, he shut them tight. 
It was one thing to lose yourself in a story, but this was becoming all too real. I'm sorry, man. You are wise to be concerned. Do you know what you're going to do? asked Jack. Tell my way through it, I hope. Just be careful, in case parts of your stories start leaking into your lives, too. Mara's not our greatest worry, I think, Lucas advised. We're there for you, Isabel promised, and your story was really drawing us in. That's what I'm kind of afraid of, Lucas replied. But I can see where I might have made at least one mistake. Your tale seemed pretty engaging and tight to me, Jack said. Where do you think you went wrong? I let our host describe the box and key to me. Maybe I should have filled it with what I needed, taken control of the content. If, as we think, there are a bunch of the old merchant's boxes strewn throughout this world, keep that in mind if you find one. The others agreed, and everyone signed off the private channel. When they met the following week for the continuation of Lucas's story, his character Ivan greeted them and continued right where they left off previously. He shook the box and nothing happened, at least not immediately there. He suddenly found a copper key in his pocket. It was beautiful, but when he held it in his hand, tiny grains were left like little tears. He put the key into the lock and there inside was a beautiful palace that popped up from the box like the panels of an icon, only all were green, like malachite. He turned the key again and the palace was all around him. He turned it once more and the palace was gone. When he turned the key again, he felt and faintly heard the winding of gears. The young apprentice wasn't in the underworld anymore, or at least he wasn't in hell. He appeared to be in a kind of cave, like the entrance of a mine on the edge of a forest. Forest, cave entrance, and caverns beyond all had the look of malachite, copper leaf, and precious stones. Mostly copper, but also diamonds, gold, and lapis. Because of the predominance of copper, everything glowed and pulsed from red to green. There were green lizards everywhere, and these skittered about and froze into patterns on the floor, changing and reforming like a kaleidoscope with each step the lad took further into the cavern. The walls of the cavern twisted and turned like the coiling bodies of the lizards. Just when the boy thought he was hopelessly lost, he came out into an open space and found a lizard on a coppery rock. The lizard had the face and plaited hair of a beautiful maiden and the body of a lizard. Her shape slowly took on human form, her reptilian skin becoming a layered green silken gown that chimed and clinked together like copper plates. Many young men devoted to the mines and the promise of wealth have pursued me, she said. Is that why you are here? I'm not a miner, said the lad. I'm a clockmaker. Copper makes a nice decoration sometimes, but it's no different to me than gold or gems. Paint and glass, skillfully applied, does as well. What wonder does a clock contain that my copper mountain does not, she asked. You see here all the riches and all the longing of the world. Yes, and yet the miners come generation after generation and wear your beauty and your kingdom away. The lad swept his arm to the side. 
showing a cavern that had been mined to exhaustion and been allowed to collapse. Clocks contain nothing but mechanisms and decoration, but they tell time, like a beautiful story, and in telling time they keep it going. Yet it must be difficult and precise work, making a clock so that time wishes to abide within it. You could marry me and never have to work so hard, the copper maiden persisted. All the riches you see here could be yours. The lad was about to correct her gently, to explain that time did not abide within a clock exactly, and that her assumption was surely the mistake of an immortal. But he soon realized that was how he thought. Building a clock was like creating a splendid cage for a magical songbird. When my clock keeps time precisely, all my hard work is forgotten. Do you own time, then? No, but I am honored to make a place for it to tell its tale. When they have mined out this mountain, my tale may be forgotten, the maiden said wistfully. All my lovers have proved false and all have died. The young apprentice knew from his uncle that mining and the lure of riches of the earth was a life that could kill. It need not be so. I will not marry you, the lad said, but I could fashion a clock to house your story. You could tell it through all the remaining ages of mountains and men. The supplies I need seem to be in this box. He wound the copper key carefully, noting the changing contents and vistas within. All it needs is you. A noble woman always takes a trusted servant, the copper maiden smiled, bending down to take a particularly glittering lizard from among the thousands forming the floor of the cavern. She pressed it to her throat and it became a carved malachite medallion inlaid with fiery accents of beaten copper. She handed him a silken roll of fine jewelry, rings, pendants, bracelets, earrings, brooches. Each piece was finer than the last. The roll was embroidered with green lizards. To end your apprenticeship and begin your life as a free craftsman. When the jewels are gone, the roll will store your most precious tools, she said. The boy thanked her graciously and carefully tucked the roll into his jacket. The lad opened the box, and the maiden shrank and slipped inside. The box grew too large and heavy for the lad to carry. Undaunted, he laid it on the floor and stepped onto the lid. A fine cage, open at the top, formed around him, within a channel that was the same shape as the box, only slightly bigger. A leather rope with a bell on it appeared, doubled and attached as if on a pulley system. With one hand, the boy grasped the rope. With the other, he turned the key and rose with the box, level by level, until he was out of that underworld place and back in his master's shop. He hid the box, but paid his master with some of the jewels. The greedy man drew up the paperwork ending his indenture and providing him with a reference to the guild. With other jewels, the young clockmaker bought a small house with an attached workshop near his parents' home and began his life as a craftsman. Those who took the enchanted finery as payment knew nothing but woe and unfulfilled desire, but that is another story. He made a large, beautiful clock 
and installed it in the main square of the town where he set up shop, which happened to be in the copper heart of the Ural Mountains. It told the story of the copper maid, and every day at noon she appeared to transform from a lizard to a beautiful woman who lived in an exquisite palace. She looked for her true love, but he never came, and those who gathered around her for the sake of her beauty and riches were all turned to lizards in their turn. Far from weathering unattractively, the metal casing of the clock was etched with new coppery lizard patterns year after year, and it never lost a second. The clockmaker never married. At the end of a long life, he closed up his shop and vanished without a trace, although some of the more observant townsfolk noted that after his disappearance, the maiden in the clock did not transform back into a lizard. Instead, at the proper hour, she emerged and gazed approvingly at the figure of a young man who held the copper key which wound the clock. Time stood still for Yvonne. Jack and Isabel praised his efforts. That wasn't just green, my friend. That was golden, Jack announced. That's not exactly how that one goes, comrade, Mara observed. Yvonne blushes and says, It's how it went for me, Lucas replied. He pressed the hot key. The Decameron shuffled. King of Clubs. Isabel's turn. Yvonne bows to Adland. Next week at least may she reign, Lucas wrote, preparing to sign off. He looked at his reflection and sighed in relief. The green glow in his eyes had dimmed again to dark. Just then a ghostly text seemed to whisper, You know how it goes. A bad man who meets the mistress of the Copper Mountain will have nothing but woe and little joy to a good man. Mara grinned smugly. The snake Tsarevna Adland, indeed. Time to have a chat with that knave, Jack. For his part, Jack was oblivious. He was thinking about boxes and what they let out and what they could be made to contain. The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales, is an original work by Shauna Kozar, all rights reserved. Shauna gratefully acknowledges that she lives and works in a beautiful, storied place, the ancestral lands of the Snamuk First Nation, and that she crafts her tales thanks to the support of the Canada Council. <laughs>